Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Thursday, January 11th, 2024. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book, His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet, and it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet, It also contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives, and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, We would appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. And press 1 on the phone when you do that. That will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I'll see that you have a comment or a question or feedback, and I'll turn on the microphone, and we can have a conversation. Alternatively, you can send me an email at tjh at mindshifters.com hyphen academy.org 
or you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. And if you happen to do that, we will address your comment or question or feedback on the Internet show, and then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so you can listen back to the archives for the feedback or input. The archives are just another of the tools that Michael and Jeannie spend a lot of time, intelligence, money, and energy maintaining for your benefit. We are fast approaching at the end of this month, completion of 13 years of Internet shows, which most of which are available in the archives. And um, some of those specialty shows that people have decided have more relevant value for them have been curated out by Jeannie Rice, and you'll find a list of those on that page if you go to whyagain.org and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner. You'll see a list of shows that are have been deemed highlights or special. A good number of them contain shows where people have been actually stepped through the worksheet process. And... Um, those can serve as a template for you if you choose to use these tools to greater and greater advantage in your own life. So, yesterday I was moved to do a, an overview of the first five lessons, quick overview of one through three, and then a review of lessons four and five. And... Um, those those shows the file the audio files for the shows where I'm reading and doing commentary on the way of mastery I've also committed to editing those out and making those available on the mindshiftersacademy.org website so you can go to that website and get easy direct access to the files that are related to reading of the way of mastery with commentary that we've begun since I think it was October, maybe November last year. And um, I'm endeavoring to keep that up to date. I don't think yesterday's show is up there yet, but it'll get there soon. And it's also available through the archive of uh, Podbean on the app, and it's available through whyagain.org in their archives. So how can we support you? What is on your mind about what would be most useful for you? Today is a Thursday, so there will be a support group tonight available through Zoom. If you have an internet connection and you're interested in joining us, it's absolutely free. All the information about how to log in through Zoom is available on the MindShiftersAcademy.org website. So um, you may join us or you may feel moved to pass that information along to somebody else who might benefit from joining us, and we would be grateful. It's most Tuesdays and Thursdays from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time. And within about a couple of weeks, we should have um, another On Your Mind 
podcast episode available. I interviewed Dr. Artisher Marin yesterday, and um, he wrote the book, You're Not Depressed, You're Unfinished. And so that's another resource that's available absolutely free. The podcast hosted by Journey's Dream, specifically focusing in on people who use a holistic or functional medicine or an integrative medicine approach to help people through the challenges they face in their mental health. So, there are now 152 published episodes there and and growing and Any any input you would have about who you think would be a good person for me to interview for that podcast or to have on as a guest on the Mind Shifters Academy or the Mind Shifters Radio is also um, welcome. I had somebody send me a send me a text and say, um, "Here's a woman who's a psychologist um, who is." Um, Dr. Deb King, K-I-N-G, and she has had uh, her own near-death experience. She's also a nurse and a clinical psychologist. And you can look her up on YouTube. I listened to a, about a, I think it was about an hour. Her website is dr for doctor. D-E-B-K-I-N-G dot com. All one word. D-R-D-E-B-K-I-N-G dot com. And um, from that website, I clicked on the link to listen to a YouTube video, which, as I mentioned, um, it's about, I think it's a little less than an hour in length. And uh, quite interesting. Talked about her, yeah, just about 55 minutes. It talked about her experience, about her reluctance to share with people. And... um, I've reached out to her to see if she would be willing to be interviewed for the On Your Mind podcast. So if that sparks some thoughts in you of a book you've read or a podcast you listened to or an interview you've seen that you think would be uh, a, a good target for me to either bring into Mind Shifters Radio or bring into the On Your Mind podcast, I would appreciate you letting me know. What are your thoughts? And in lieu of anybody putting a hand up, which has been kind of sparse lately, I will take a look at the book, The Way of Mastery. Area code 541, you're in the air. Yes, Linda here. How are you this morning? Welcome. 
I'm thank good. You. I'm good. And you? Uh, very good. Thank you. Larry and I uh, sometimes watch some YouTube videos, and we're interested in natural health. So we were watching a Dr. Mark Hyman video, and he was interviewing Deepak Chopra. And I don't know if you uh, have ever interviewed Mr. Chopra or not, but I thought I would share that with you because when Deepak was talking, and he was talking about Ayurvedic, uh, not so much medicine, but actually more about the Hindu religion, you know, his own personal practice. And I was just uber impressed with how similar so many things he said in his own languaging reminded me of the Aramaic gospel totally. So I wanted to share that with you in case you were interested in taking a little peek at that. Um, I have no idea how um, important a person's quote-unquote has to be in order for uh, the person to interview Deepak Chopra, but he has always fascinated me, so I thought I would pass it on. And it's just a Dr. Mark Hyman interview on YouTube with Deepak Chopra. I think you can find it with that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, that's uh, my experience has been you need some significant uh, number of hits on YouTube or whatever your chosen channel is before you can attract someone like Oprah or Deepak Chopra, etc., uh-huh. um, to be on your podcast. So I, 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 I'll reach out. I mean, I'll go to his website, and there will be a contact form, and I'll reach out. Um, and I know enough not to keep my hopes up for that kind of thing because I've had many, many rejections over the years. I'm sure and it's understandable, and, uh, right? I mean, like if you have if you have somebody who's got limited time, as we all do, and their mission is to get their message out to as many people as possible, it makes sense that they they don't say yes to every mom and pop um, podcast that asks them to appear. So they I would get the, the most bang for the buck. That's true, and I agree totally. So at the very least, that you might find that uh, interview interesting. Um, and I've always had the philosophy, I don't know where it comes from, whether it comes from my neediness or my optimism, that if I don't ask, I don't get. And if I do ask, I might get 50% of the time. <laughs> and I was thinking if there were, um, if he were to uh, just check out the website, you know, on your mind podcast and the uh, what is the other one you do do where you post all your interviews? I can't remember. Besides Mind Shifters, there was uh, Journey's Dream, the, right? Well, Journey's Dream is the host for the On Your Mind podcast. Oh, okay, I see. Got it. They are the they are Journey's Dream is the name of the nonprofit. And the name they chose for the podcast they wanted me to do is On Your Mind Podcast. Perfect. And so I thought perhaps if for some reason that um, resonated with him as being something very, very valuable, perhaps he would 
make time in his life. You never know. You do not know until you ask. That's very true. <laughs> and a good January day today. We're buried in snow here, and it was 12 degrees last night. And this was after a very early winter where there was hardly any snow at all, and everybody was just crying, oh, my God, we won't have any winter, uh, any uh, wet water next year and we'll have all these wildfires and and larry and i are chuckling we're just laughing how long it takes before the complaints start coming in oh we have too much snow and it's disastrous and roofs are caving and so it's a very a very um marvelous and mysterious world we live in don't you think well it doesn't really matter what i think Yes, it is. <laughs> and and as the way of mastery would tell us, the more we wake up to it, the more we learn to just move from mystery to mystery to mystery. Including the and mystery of always... who you are and and what you are and what gave rise to you as a person, as a consciousness, as an entity. I was reflecting on that this morning as I've mentioned to you before, my very favorite story is the um the story of the creation and like i believe it was you on your show that mentioned that that or somewhere i was reading that that was the very lowest level of the jewish understanding i think it was probably well it wasn't Aramean. so much the story of creation it is if, if this is if you're referring to me and what i talk about it's the idea that some people think the Ten Commandments are a high spiritual teaching. Right. And and it's a very low bar for spiritual right. teaching. It's basically quit killing each other, yes, quit stealing right. things from others, quit lying. That's no high spiritual achievement. That's just fundamental first step. Pre- That's pre-kindergarten. Yeah. Yes, there you go. Uh, what I remember now where it came from, I think, was Dale Mar- uh, um, Alan Hoffman was mentioning it in Aramaicism, but he was talking about when the uh, Greeks translated the Jewish uh, holy works, the, uh, Talm- uh, not the Talmud, at the beginning, five books. and the Torah. Um, Torah, thank you. And um, he said that back, actually the uh, creation story came from the lowest level interpretation of that. And it was like a, a kindergarten kids. And what's fascinating is I find there is so much relevance in that story to my life that I am just utterly amazed. Like the other morning I woke up and I realized my brother is really into a judgmental kind of um, King James type of perception of who we are and original sin and all of that. And uh, we're trying to share information with each other without rattling each other too much. And what I realized when I woke up yesterday morning was I was I woke up with the the creation story in my mind with uh, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And um, when they ate of the tree of the 
uh, knowledge of good and evil, which is a tree of death, uh, they discovered that they they discovered quote unquote that they were naked and so they covered themselves with a fig leaf well god comes into the garden he says why do you have a fig leaf on you and they said because we're naked and we knew you would be upset or something like that i've got to go back and read it reread it and he said who told you who told you you have you're naked and they said well the the devil you know And I thought, God never told them they were bad or wrong. He just asked a simple question, like, who told you? (laughs) And I realized how we create all of our stuff ourselves by our judgments and our interpretations and the meanings we give things. And um, he never drove them out of the garden. They drove themselves and all these things that we're learning. Um. And I just went, whoa. And then to think about Adam and the Adamos, you know, Adam was made out of the red clay. And I realized that I suddenly understood that we are the Buddhist saying of of, uh, man is the link between heaven and hell. I mean, heaven and earth. And I realized that Adam um, was just totally, that was, that was the creation. It's really interesting that the creation of Adam was out of the earth and the creation of Eve because she is the one historically and traditionally and um, in general, the woman is the one that's more emotional, more closer to the heart energy than the head energy. And I just think all that's fascinating. It really helps me. It helps me get clear and simple about things. And I know it sounds very complex and intellectual, but it's just that process that calms me down and brings me to the doorway to knock and ask and receive and say, oh, my goodness, what a mystery, what a wonder, from mystery to mystery. And I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> All righty. Well, thank you for sharing. I think, um, you know, one of the challenges many people have is to find the the meaning, the fable, the story, the moral of the story, etc., from these many, many stories of different scriptures that in their origins were never intended to be taken literally. They were intended to be like Michael Ray says, a parable is a story with parallel meanings, more than one meaning. And Michael likes to quote from the scripture that says, without a parable, he did not teach. In other words, there was so much to say that I think it was Joseph Campbell that said, how about you take a look at a myth and instead of saying that it's some kind of a childhood story or lie with no meaning, it's not true, it's false. Which is one of the the, the meanings we have now over the 
centuries attributed to the word myth. But instead of thinking it as, of it as a lie, a story that's not true, what if you think of it as a story that conveys so much depth and richness that it can't be contained in a simple literal description? So what if every myth contains multiple levels of meaning to be explored, to be shared, about, as the way of mastery would say, the mystery within a mystery within a mystery that life is, that human beings are, that existence is. And if you step back into that and you realize that the myth was never intended to be taken literally, then you can soften and start working with and questioning, so what are the different ways that this might make sense? What are the different levels of teaching that might be found in this parable or in this myth or story? So, congratulations on taking that approach. I hope it bears good fruit for you. Anything else we can help you with today? Yes, two quick uh, things that you triggered in light of um, what you said. One was when my children, who are now in their 50s almost, uh, 153, 149, when they were a little, uh, used to watch uh, Sesame Street when it was slow sound bites and not just hyper fast and speedy. And uh, what I used to watch uh, Sesame Street with the children, and I would watch Ernie and uh, Bert because they were my favorite characters. And I remember so many episodes with Ernie and Bert when I could see the child's level of what was happening in the story, but I was laughing with it um, on a totally deeper more mature level than it, the children would get it. The miracle of that for me was that stories in our cellular structure. So when they grow, why can't it somehow bubble up in a form that gives a deeper meaning to them? And I'm also reading The Black Swan. I don't know if you've ever heard of that book or not. But the black swan... Not, not ringing a bell. You're um, not talking about the ugly duckling. Not at all. I'm talking about the black swan. And it's a gentleman who went through the wars in Lebanon. Um, I think it was in the, maybe the 70s or 60s or whenever it was. And this is the black swan. It's a New York Times bestseller. The Impact of the Highly Improbable by Nassim Nicholas Taleb. I would highly recommend that. It's an extremely uh, interesting book. He talks in there about humans don't want the truth, they want stories. And I thought, oh, that makes sense, because I don't know anything that's more of a lesson than a story or laughter, laughter for healing, a story for opening us up to other possibilities. 
And and we're just about four chapters in now. I'm reading it to Larry in the evening. It's our bedtime story. And I um, just am noticing how many parallels in there that I see with Aramaicisms that he has come to conclusions about um, just from his own experiential being a questioner. Um, being kind of out of the box in relation to his family and everything. I, I highly recommend it. Uh, so far, we are just between almost laughing and crying. You know, it's just a really um, sweet book uh, and um, very helpful for me in relation to um, going deeper in my Aramaic understanding of how life works and and this is from someone who's um, Lebanese, and it's just, I just am suggesting the Black Swan by Nassim. All right, N-A-S- I, I'll take S-A-S-A-S-A. a look at it. Okay, good, wonderful, thank you. And that's it. All right, all right, blessings, thank you for the call. I'll mute you so you can listen in. Got about a half an hour left in our first hour of the show. For any comments, questions, answers, testimonials, 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, we can have a conversation. Uh, If you don't feel the move to do that, I will take a look at where we are in the in the book called The Way of the Heart, which is the first book of three in The Way of Mastery. And um, this material was channeled from 1994 to 1997, but it was first pulled together in this large book in 2005. And it's had a number of different printings since then the um, the lesson five that we just read is called the keys to the kingdom and lesson six calls us to the idea that love heals all things and I get a lot of pushback from people when I talk about a, a lesson like that or a message in a book because the the egoic mind does not want to think that life could be that direct or that simple. This is one of those I think there are several different places in this book where I said if you understood this one teaching if you understood just the promise at the beginning of this work if you understood in in depth the three axioms that have been given so far and practiced putting them to use in your life you wouldn't need anything else in this book well in lesson 6 the title of the of the lesson is love heals all things And the initial paragraph reads, Indeed, 
Greetings unto you, beloved and holy friends. And then it says in italics, the very same sentence is repeated. Indeed, greetings unto you, beloved and holy friends. And then it says, if you understand the meaning of this greeting, if you comprehend the depth of each term used, then already you know all there is to know. And you are well prepared to extend the love of creation forever. So, instead of reading the whole book, you can just find a way, find some kind of a guru or a teacher or a magic wand to help you understand what does it mean when it says, Indeed, greetings unto you, beloved and holy friends. Or you can keep reading in Lesson 6, and it says, in quotes, the word indeed, close quotes, means simply there are no other options. Indeed means, here, here it is, whatever comes next is a bedrock truth of life. Indeed. And then the quote, greetings unto you, close quotes, means salutations to the capital O-N-E the one created of the Father before all things for I bow down before your radiance quote beloved close quotes and holy child of God indeed beloved of God indeed beloved of every molecule in your physical universe indeed loved of your holy mother this precious earth indeed loved by anything you can imagine that has ever existed or ever could exist that has extended itself from the heart and the mind of creation you are beloved pure and simple again there are no options quote holy close quote holy because you are whole w h o l e not because you have earned that holiness but because it is that which is the capital t truth from which you are extended forever because you are made in the image of the Creator, because you spring forth from the mind of the Creator. You are holiness itself. Each time you set aside the temptation to dream a useless dream, set aside the temptation to dream ideas, thoughts, beliefs, perceptions that you're separate from anyone or anything. And when you do that, you will walk this earth as Christ you will be the conduit for the Christ mind you will be an extension of love in form the next paragraph says beloved and holy quote friend close quotes a friend is not one lesser than myself 
a friend is one who walks in perfect equality with the grandest of masters, whomever you might conceive such a master to be. A friend is one who chooses to look upon another and see only the face of Christ therein. There is no one who shall receive these words who has not already looked upon me and seen the face of Christ within. And likewise, I look upon you, and I call you friend, equal, conduit for the Christ mind, one with all of creation, extension of love in form. The next paragraph says, For when I look upon you, I see not the very momentary dreams that you seem to think are lasting for so long. I see only the radiance of that which the Father has extended out of the energy of capital L, love. I see only that which has neither beginning nor end. I see only that which knows neither birth nor death. I see only that which is limitless, no limitations. I see only that, the light of which is already extended throughout all dimensions and all universes. I see only my brother and sister. I see no trace of inequality between us. I do recognize that within your dream, it appears to you that I've gone ahead just a little bit. At times, within your hearts, there is a longing to follow me. If you would but heed that longing, if you would make that longing primary at all times, your own desire will bring you completely and totally to where I am. And you will laugh when you discover you haven't moved an inch. You'll laugh when you discover that where I am is where you are. And where you are is in eternity, not in time. You will laugh when you recognize that where you are is in the place of your birth, which is in the mind of the Creator. This is the only thing that is true, and it is true always. This is the only reality that you genuinely possess. Therefore, indeed, I call you friend, for well do I see that you are as I am. Therefore, indeed, greetings unto you, beloved and holy friends. There is nothing else to be said. Yet, the mind races, does it not? It races away from the very reality that I have just described about you. 
The mind races from that source as a sunbeam from the sun. Yet, in reality, it never leaves its source. The very power with which you seem to become distracted by a momentary thought of fear, that is the same power by which you will awaken to your own call. So, here's the paradox. There is only love. There really isn't such a thing as fear. It's a false creation that we make in our dream of separation. It's an energy of vibration that we feel, but we're using the energy of creation and love itself to create that energy of fear, that vibration. We're using the energy of creation and truth and love to create the dream of separation. We're using our ability to choose whatever we would choose and to have our experience be, as this teaching would outline for us, that your experience will be whatever you decree it to be. Whatever you decree is. So if you decree that you're separate, if you use the power of creation and your consciousness to create the belief that you're separate from your brothers and sisters, that's exactly the experience you will have. And it will be as real to you as any other experience that you claim and create for yourself. How do you create it? By using the energy of creation, consciousness, what Michael Rice would call your mind energy as a creative force. You are free to create anything you desire. And if you choose to create thoughts of fear, you're free to do that. There's something in in that Dr. Deb King uh, there's so much good in it. It's, it. She had a near-death experience, and and it boils down to what so many other people, most of the people who've had near-death experiences, boil it down to. It's the lesson that we are light, we are love, we are consciousness, we are safe, we are whole, we are. That's all there is. And yet. It, because of the conditioning of our conscious logical mind and because of all of the culture around fear, the fearful message creeps in at near the end of, of her talk. You know, that we better get busy, that we, you know, hurry up, don't delay. Darkness could win if we don't shine our light, etc., but it's in direct contradiction to other things she said about how, and she quotes people who say, like, all the darkness in the world can't defeat a single candle that's lit. Because the darkness is not an active force. The darkness is literally just the absence of light. And if you think about light as the conscious awareness and your ability to turn your conscious awareness to whatever you choose in any moment, then you can learn about, you can bring light to, you can have dominion over whatever you bring your awareness to because consciousness 
is the light. And you have control over this little, you might call it a hose, a little spigot, a little rivulet of consciousness. And you get to choose what to focus it on. Choose to focus it on light and love and peace and joy and gratitude, and that will be your experience. You'll create more and more of that. At the same time, if you choose to focus it on fear, that's what you'll create, the experience of fear. You'll generate that tightness and contraction and constriction that can't occur any other way than somebody decides to use the energy of love, the energy of light, the energy of consciousness to create the tightness and the tension and the contraction. So, Michael Rice has some talks where he talks about, Yeshua says many times in the writings that are attributed to Yeshua, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. Fear is a demon to be cast out. He he quotes things like, with man, death began. And this whole process of fear is... and. It is a disintegrative energy that doesn't belong in the human system, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it's, it never ceases to amaze me how many people talk about love and about don't fear, and, and yet before they're done, the, the trainings of the culture about fear and about urgency creep back into the message it's even at one point in the way of mastery where it says you know you don't want to wake up and find out that uh, you know the shop's been closed and 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 you you miss the boat but at the same time far more often and far more universally across the great teachings the message is we're all coming home. We've never been separate. When you get home, you'll realize you never left. There's nothing to fear. There's nothing to panic about. Every judgment is a contraction away from life itself. And so choose wisely because you're going to be the one who's living with the effects of your choice in the moment, in the dream, as long as the dream lasts. And the way of mastery would call us to wake up to the idea that whatever we choose to focus on is what we value. And as we focus on it, as we talk about it, as we live into it, we are communicating that value to everyone and everything around us. One of the ways that the way of mastery talks about your body, your mind, your energy system is that it's a very temporary communication device. And the purpose for your existence is for you to communicate to everyone around you what you value. Guy Finley has the same kind of thing he says in his talk. Listen, you only do what you value. And there will be all kinds of people that want to argue with this. But he says, 
if you spend any amount of time in anger, it's because you value anger. If you spend any amount of time in fear, it's because in that moment you're valuing fear. And we don't like to think that we value our pain or our fear or our sadness. And yet it's just another way of talking about if that's what you've been trained into and you pour your mind energy into it, you're going to create more of it. If you wake up and realize that you have the ability to shift the focus of your conscious awareness in each new present moment, then you you wake up to the idea that, oh, I don't have to sit here and focus on thoughts of pain or fear or sadness or hurt or confusion. I can focus on thoughts of gratitude and joy and aliveness and appreciation for everything that I'm experiencing or for the opportunity to experience. Like Erica Vega says in her beautiful writing about joy in disguise, count it all joy. Count every experience and riding the pendulum from good, positive, happy emotion to sad, fearful emotion. Count it all joy. Count it all with gratitude for the ability to be awake and aware and have an experience in life. Well, that's essentially what the way of mastery is calling us to. That the the true nature that give gave rise to us and allows us to have consciousness and is is this one life force this one consciousness this one one mind of the creator that we've never been separate from and as it says right here in lesson six when you wake up and realize that you've made it home you're going to in the next breath recognize you never left you're right where you began And the essence of tuning into that means releasing the dream of separation, releasing the conditioning that you've been trained into to judge right, wrong, good, bad. It means accepting Rilke's invitation to learn to live in the question. I had somebody in my office earlier today and she was going on and on about how she doesn't judge, she doesn't judge, she doesn't judge. And she was talking about having relationships with some people that don't treat her very well. And because she's a minister and she's worked in prisons and she's, you know, worked hard to try and avoid looking down on anybody or thinking that anybody's more special than anybody else. So she keeps talking about how she doesn't judge, she doesn't judge, she doesn't judge. And I finally had to interrupt her because while it's possible to live your life without judging as an ideal, it isn't exactly wise to live your life without discernment. And so... I talked to her about how, you know, in, in the, the primary 
thing she was talking about, one of her good friends keeps treating her, let's call it abusively, insults her, talks down to her, tries to control her, etc. And so I, I tried to help her understand that it's entirely possible to discern that this is happening and that you prefer not to associate with people who would insult you, try to control you, try to put you down. At the same time, blessing them on their way to choose the lifestyle they've chosen or to choose the behaviors they're choosing, you don't need to condemn them in order to discern that you don't want to stay immersed in that pattern of energy in your own life. So it's tricky for some people. And the big, you know, the, the, the most useful thing that people ask is, how do I know when I'm discerning versus judging? And the only good option I have here for an answer is to talk about the energy in your system, the earliest, the most subtle warning signs of tension, contraction, discomfort, when that's happening, you're probably in judgment. So, can I be around people who are, um, they're, they're, they're fun, they're fun-loving, they love to sing and dance, and yet they spend a lot of time gossiping and talking down about people that aren't there and or um, attacking each other with sarcasm. You know, can I spend time around those people and, and not betray my values, my own values? That's a real good set of questions. You know, um, what, what do you, back to what Guy Finley says about, you, you you do what you value. So if you spend a lot of time around people who do a lot of gossip and talking down to each other and sarcasm and attacking each other and you know, whether it's drinking heavily or engaging in hate speech or whatever, but you don't agree with the hate speech and you don't agree with the gossiping and but they you have so much fun when you're with them because they they can sing and they can dance and i think it's really useful for us to take a look at are we you know is it is it possible to discern that this is not a good use of my energy because if I'm hanging around those people a lot it means I share those values even if I say I don't not and this is a kind of a difficult conversation for a lot of people a lot of people don't want to step into an awareness that what they spend their time doing is what they value. So, the way of mastery would call us to be vigilant, to be committed, 
to watch every level of our thought with every breath and to choose for love over and over again. And I can't be choosing for love if I'm hanging around with people that act in ways that go against what I say are my values because in truth, I'm valuing their values more than mine in that moment if I hang out with them extensively. And it's okay if that's what I choose to do. I'm going to get the results that are in alignment with what I'm choosing and where I'm spending my mind energy. So again, this is not a complex path to follow, the way of the heart. And yet it is not an easy path because we've been so deeply contrained, con- conditioned and trained to pretty much the opposite of this path. We have been conditioned and trained into judgment, into anger, into fear, into the dream of separation. And the way of mastery would call us to be disciplined and vigilant about what? About our own thoughts, moment to moment, breath to breath. So the invitation is to choose for love. The invitation is to understand that the great teachers, the, the, the consciousness, the entities that would give rise to a teaching like this are inviting us as equals to participate with them. Just as it says in the beginning of Lesson 6, Indeed, beloved and holy friends, you are as the same consciousness that would give rise to a magnificent work like A Course in Miracles or The Way of Mastery. That is your true nature. And you may not be awake and aware to it right now, but these teachings have as their goal awakening you awakening the awareness in you that you are one with them. So, I will thank you all for being here. Thank you, Selinda, for your comments earlier. And I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. Welcome, Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. I appreciate it. You're welcome and deserving. Are we just kind of on hold for the Podbean and we're just going to wait until uh, Blog Talk fails again, or are we moving in a different direction? Um, I think right now, um, I mean, they're still answering some questions for me and all. So I think right now we will continue on the blog talk, and then if for some reason one day it doesn't work, we will absolutely switch over to that. But if I can get all my questions answered uh, satisfactorily, you know, we may switch over to that anyway because it's a little bit less expensive, and it seems to have a few more um, tools. Uh, but it's definitely a good backup. So I hope everybody's already put uh, Podbean on your phone so that if we have to switch, you're ready. Yes, it will send you a notice and say MindShifters Radio is live. And uh, okay. I thought about I, I going out and putting thought, Go ahead. I, I was having the thought that it might be good to have a test 
so we can yeah. hear the voice quality, et cetera, and maybe to do a show that way. And That sounds good. But just a thought. What we can do is just pick a day and uh, go ahead and, and do that. And that way I can send out a, a email blast and, and say, you know, on this date we're going to uh, test over on Podbean, and we'll see how that goes. All right. Blessings. Awesome. Have Thanks. a great show. You too. You have a good day. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio. And today is Thursday, January the 11th, 2024. And our call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and questions. Because that makes this your show. And it helps to, us to direct us. You know, what do you need to know? Where do you need support? You know, uh, what are your questions? Because those are important. And uh, I'm having a little challenge here. I went to the eye doctor just for a regular checkup, and they dilated my eyes, and I've got sunglasses on in the house. I can't see right now. Uh, Everything's too bright. So I'm challenging the switchboard here. So if I miss your hand, just give me a minute. Um, I'm giving Michael a moment to dial in, and I hope everybody's having a good day. Um, and, you know, go to the website and look around. There are lots of new pieces of information. If you didn't get our last email about the Podbeam and you're not sure what we're talking about there, if you go to our website, and you can go down to where it says Newsflash, or you can click on, uh, there's a link at the top that says uh, News, Newsletters. You can click either one of those, and you're going to find it in there. It'll say January 2nd, 2024, Mindshifters Radio Notice. And we're setting up, we have set up on a podcast program called Podbean, and uh, so we we're going to use that if blog talk went down again. You know, it's right during December, we actually missed um, eight days, 16 hours of shows. And so to keep that from happening again, we've got a backup of Podbean. And Michael's joined us, and Dr. Tim suggested, and I think it's a good suggestion, um, to pick a day, and I can send out a notice that we're actually going to run the show on Podbean instead of blog talk just to see like the sound quality and you know testing the chat room and things like that to have a, a live test so we'll pick out a day and and uh, let everybody know when we're going to do that and uh, nobody has their hand up so i'm going to say welcome michael and turn it over to you for right now thank you dear heart and welcome everybody delighted that you're here delighted to have this opportunity to uh move the conversation forward. Of course, our conversation the last couple of days has been about responsibility communication. Uh, are you using words to describe the constructs of your mind as constructs of your mind uh, or as facts in the world? And virtually everybody in the, in the culture uses words to describe the constructs of their mind as though that construct is what they're looking at, which it is what they're looking at, but it's not on the outside of their eyeballs. It's painted on the inside of their eyeballs. And, you know, pretty much nobody knows that. So 
what we are inviting people to do with their words is to begin to use words to accurately describe what's going on in your life. That is that when you describe something that you think you see that's out there, that you recognize that it is a perceptual construct of your mind and belongs to you, rather than trying to use words to prove that it's true about somebody else. If you'd like more information on that, there's a really excellent TED Talk by a gentleman named Anil, A-N-I-L, Seth, S-E-T-H. If you go on YouTube and search Anil Seth TED Talk, Anil is a neuroscientist, and he explains the fact that eyes don't see. That's the bottom line of it, that what sees is our brain, and that what our brain is showing us again, and I use it metaphorically as it painted on the inside of our eyeballs, isn't out there at all. And you find that uh, the game, the whole game of life changes when you start to use words to actually communicate rather than convince, win, manipulate, control, get what you want. So it's a a fun tool. It's an interesting tool to learn. I wonder if... um, Magda happens to be out there today, Jeannie. I actually just thought I should have sent her a text to see if she'd come on and play a little bit and uh, perhaps share with us her insight from the intensive where she agreed to be the practice. She agreed to carry out the practicum with Chuck, and uh, it opened some great insights for her. So i just putting an, an invitation out there, Magda, if you happen to be on the line. She is there. I'm going to turn on her microphone, and we'll see if she's available to talk. Hello, Martha. Hey, Martha, are you there, young lady? Well, I attempted to turn on her microphone, and it's spinning. So, oh, there. Okay. Martha, are you with us? Are you out there, Martha? Hello, Magdalena. Okay, well, she may be busy at something else or may not want to uh, step into the conversation at this point. I just had the thought that she might be willing to share. I should have checked with her before the show uh, that she might be willing to share some of the insights that she got that led to uh, um, the communication uh, practical aspect of that intensive becoming really just so powerful. And, of course, the uh, that intensive is a part of the self-study of codependence to interdependence that we have available. If anyone wants to take your work to the next level, the uh, intensive covers, actually it covers two full intensives, which we recorded on Zoom, of course, with everybody's knowledge and permission. And it includes 90 hours of instruction of questions and answers, of process work. We do, why is this happening to me again? Healing through relationships, codependence to interdependence, and communication. Did you hear what I think I said? Mind shifters and still point breathing are all part of that intensive. And that's available for purchase. Fairly nominal price for 90 hours of really deep, pretty intense work. It's a powerful happening to take that on as a self-study and the cost of the whole package, including 
a pre and post personal code online personal code evaluation and a total fresh and raw food program through our private Facebook page. So it's a it's a really um, as I say powerful package and, if you want to step forward. If you want to look and also from Trello a perspective. Oh yes, and then there's a Trello app with all the uh, uh, recipes in them. That's right. Yes. So if you want to move forward in terms of your mental, emotional, spiritual, physiological nutrition, then there's a whole package of material available. If you're interested in doing it, you can drop Jeannie a note, J-E-A-N-I-E at W-H-Y, again, dot org. The uh, communication part was very powerful in, in the second intensive, which is the one where... Magda agreed to, with Chuck, do the uh, responsibility communication process. So much fun to watch it unfold. And deep appreciation for for Magda for the uh, courage she had to step up and go for it and really open the space for some just Powerful, wonderful conversation. Much appreciation there. And, of course, codependence. It's interesting. I was talking to someone uh, recently. And she's been kind of mentioning this process this person's been going through. And someone who's been involved with the work for about 30 years, but it's kind of a stage where it appears it's like, oh, I don't need to do worksheets. Uh, I'll just kind of slide along. And uh, recently came across uh, a really deep level, deep-seated uncovering that created quite a, a ripple in his field, so to speak. And he called and asked for support, and I was there, and... and uh, probably one of the biggest issues in this gentleman's life. And a couple of days after we had that conversation, he sent me a link to someone who's talking about how well all you have to do is have unconditional love and just kind of, you know, went through a whole routine about, well, in essence, there's really not much you can do about it. And I asked him if he was doing worksheets these days, and he said no. So I put that invitation out. And this morning, I was guided to, you know, when I, my waking time is usually when I get important pieces of information, and I was guided to send him a quote from Carl Jung. If you're not familiar with Carl Jung, you He's probably one of the most uh, highly respected and highly thought of psychiatrists the world's ever seen. And he said, one does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. Making the darkness conscious. There's another spot where Jung talks about how the unconscious dynamics that we refuse to deal with run our lives 
from that hidden level of mind. But when the events show up that that hidden level of mind is running, he says we call it fate, like life did to us, like we have no part in it. And this body of work is is in great harmony with what Jung presented to the world in terms of there is a work to be done. And many people don't want to go there. Many people want to avoid that work. And we are wholesale full out there inviting you to step up to the plate and, and, and recognize once the process starts, I mean, it is an option, but it's not really an option to turn away. Just because things get hot doesn't mean it's time to quit or stop or interrupt or run away or what have you. That's the time to stand steady, to breathe, and do your work. Own what's going on for you rather than, and you know, virtually everybody that's you know, grown up in this culture by the age of four, as you've heard me say many times, and I'll say it many more times, is a card-carrying member of the one world religion to blame. A person's in a great deal of upset, and their whole conversation's about somebody else. And they have no clue that the upset that they're experiencing is a product of something moving inside of them that's going on in their own mind-body unit, in their own generational patterns. And that's the stuff that Jung is saying we have to bring to awareness. So rather than hiding it, and you know, I, I was inviting this gentleman who's a healing professional and, uh, and fairly well-known, fairly well-respected. He's done worksheets in the past, gotten great benefit. I've watched him move from states of deep anxiety and depression and intensive to just aliveness. And yet, for many people, when it comes to looking at the next level of what they need to deal with, I'm out of here. I quit. Of course, I'm only quitting because of you, not because of me. I mean, I'm okay. I'm just fine. I'm only quitting because of what you did. It's like we can call ourselves so deeply by structuring these pictures in our minds out of thought disorders, and then we believe the expression of the thought disorders when they show up as pictures in our minds. And, of course, if we're in that game of denial, or our definition of denial, when I think or speak as though something outside of me is the cause of what's moving inside of me, that looks like you made me mad, you made me sad, you made me afraid. If I hold that thought disorder that somebody else outside of you could possibly cause something to happen inside of you, then your mind takes that thought disorder and makes a picture of whoever that somebody is, whoever is in your emblem of. But just just be aware that when you're the one that runs away, when you're the one that goes into a fit of rage and turns tail and runs the other way, you're dealing with a conversation in your own mind. The truth is you have no interaction with the person in the external world at all. Your mind makes it look like you do, but you're battling your own internal dynamics. 
Young has another, and I, I don't can't give you the quote exactly, but but basically what he says is every interaction with others, especially those with whom we think we're disturbed, is a place where we can learn more about ourselves. Why? Because of this thing called projection. What is projection? Is projection taking something that's inside of me and putting it outside of me? No, that's what the culture pretty much teaches, but no, that's not what it is at all. Literally, projection is the ability of the mind holding thought disorders to convert those thought disorders to pictures of whoever one is blaming at the moment. So you go back and you get somebody to do an essay on, you know, the 75 years of their life, and they'll start out how at the age of five, Billy, you know, I was in grade kindergarten, and Billy beat me up, and it was Billy's fault, and then grade, in grade seven, and then grade nine, and grade 11, and grade 12, and, you know, in early college, I had this fight with, and it was all his fault, and and yes, when I ran away from that conversation last week, it was their fault that I did it. Now, clearly, if you're in physical danger, move out of the way. But if you're not in physical danger, the only reason to run is because of what's going on inside of you. Ownership and forgiveness. Forgiveness is, as it was taught 2,000 years ago by this man named Yeshua, is the most powerful tool I know of. It's the only tool I know of that when used consistently and persistently, consistently and persistently, acquaints us with our own unconscious dynamics, gets us out of this place where we can talk about and think about and blame everybody else and we can give somebody else a sentence and think we're innocent victims. Nothing to do with me. And we'll go off and tell other people and try to convert them and convince them that, you know, my story about them is really true. Guess who your story about them is really true about? It's projection. It's true about you. So when you own that, get a chance to move through it to the other side. So, and that's why our workshop, Healing Through Relationships, is called Healing Through Relationships. When I first taught that workshop 40-some years ago, it was called healing your relationships because I thought there was a thing called a diseased relationship. And then as I started to really dig deeper and deeper into the work, no, there's no such thing as a diseased relationship. There are people in relationship with each other who are diseased. And if we recognize that, then it's the interaction in the relationship that will show us the part of ourselves that we're hiding from ourselves. And how does it do that? The forgiveness tool collapses the projection of the mind. The forgiveness tool isn't about letting other people off the hook. The forgiveness tool is about collapsing the projections of your mind and giving you direct that to the hidden part of your own mind. And when you're willing to do that, things resolve very, very, very quickly. But if you run away and you decide you're going to pronounce a sentence on somebody else, 
for what they've done, and you're the one who ran away, know that you're light years away from your work still. So what forgiveness does is it collapses the constructs of the mind and gives you access to the underlying content. You know, a good image for it is, and unfortunately it's not a very uh, nice topic, but it's one that everybody knows. You know, we all watched, and you've probably seen it many, 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 many times, the 9-11 towers go down when they were hit by an airplane. And you'll notice that those towers, at free fall speed, and this is a whole other question that we're not going to get into, at free fall speed dropped into their own footprint. Well, we know that's really not possible, but we'll, we'll just leave that conversation alone. But the important part is that when the 9-11 towers were hit, they dropped into their own footprint. And when they were, when one is able to get in touch with the footprint that has built this tower of blame when the tower is knocked down and basically what forgiveness does collapses the projections of the mind and uncovers what's underneath it, what sourced it, what's in the footprint. So if you're in some kind of pain, disorder, disease, suffering, the first thing you want to do is understand how to get into the footprint beneath that upset. Bring that footprint, that information forward in the presence of conscious, active love. And when you do, whatever's been hidden is exposed. You remember in the ancient scriptures, they said, nothing will remain hidden. Everything will be made known in the light of day. Everything you've never dealt with is going to come up. And you're going to have to deal with it sooner or later. Most people never deal with it. They just keep taking those unconscious, underlying, unresolved dynamics in themselves, making pictures, which they paint on the inside of their eyeballs of everybody else whose fault it is, who's to blame. And then they said about using their time, intelligence, money, and energy to change somebody else. They, don't, they never suspect that, gee, I just had a disturbed state of mind in a conversation with someone, and I left the conversation in a huff because of what they were doing. What forgiveness does is it corrects that lie in the mind and gives one an opportunity to collapse the tower of projection. And when it collapses, it drops into its own footprint. So now you have access to the underlying unconscious information inside yourself. And that is what changes the whole game. So dramatically. The worksheet process, if you're not using it, there's several ways you can approach it. You can go to our website and download the worksheets, print them, do the worksheet live on the website. You can download the world's only forgiveness app. And to do that, you go to your app store, 
and typed in the words Heartland, H-E-A-R-T-L-A-N-D, one word, Aramaic, A-R-A-M-A-I-C, forgiveness. When you get that about halfway typed in, you'll see four or five apps come up. One of them will have a red glowing heart, a small heart. That's the app. That's the Heartland app. Install it. It's purposely, consciously designed to be extremely private. And it is extremely powerful to use. So you can do the forgiveness process right on your phone from inside the app. Or, as I say, you can download the sheets and, and print them from your, your own printer and, and do the worksheets in writing. One of the things we do suggest is you utilize at least a written form of the process, whether it's you know typing it into your computer or your phone or writing it longhand on a sheet. Because what we found is that when one is doing worksheets in writing, there's a whole different quality of attention paid to the subtle thoughts that people would otherwise avoid and ignore. And when we're in denial, and one of those subtle thoughts is activated or resonated, then what the unconscious mind does with it is it uses that information to build one's image of the person they're wanting to blame. And recognizing that the mind is an evidential device, the only evidence you ever get to see is evidence of your own BS. That's belief system, of course. The belief that somebody else is to blame, your mind will show you. Your mind will generate an actual literal picture that it will make it look like it's all somebody else's fault. But, you know, once again, one of my favorite tongue-in-cheek lines is you'll notice if you've been through a particular painful reality 87 different times with 42 different people, you're the only one that was there every time. Your painful reality is about you. They're not about anybody else. And when you walk away from a conversation, having that, that's a conflicted conversation, and you have a conversation with yourself about yourself, you're moving in the direction of healing. But if you walk away from a conflicting situation and you're having a conversation about the other guy, then you're stuck in your projection and the perceptual mind is lying to you. If your physiology is totally and completely at peace, then you can't have a conflicting conversation with anybody. And the objective of this work is to equip you with the tools to reach a state in your life where you recognize that if you're feeling some sort of a disturbance, you're feeling a reflection of an energy that's inside of you. But you can't feel the energetic dynamics of what's happening outside of you. And so that's where this work ultimately is aiming to support you in going. And if that makes sense, we're at about the halfway point. 
Got about 30 minutes left, so there's lots of room for conversation. So if you're out there in listener land, great, let's say hello. All righty, I think it's Miss Susan, area code 610, you are on the air. Hi. Welcome, young lady. Jeannie. How are you? <laughs> Pretty well. Jeannie, can you see Good. anything? I guess you saw enough to see a hand up. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit challenging, but uh, it, like I said, you know, when I clicked, uh, I thought I clicked Magna's microphone on, and, and apparently I didn't the first time. <laughs> so anyway, but yeah, they're, they're starting Diluted to get back to normal. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, Michael, you're talking right at the edge of a challenge I have, and I really liked what you said to Stelinda yesterday because she's just at the place, as I am, of being thinking I see characteristics in someone else. <clears throat> And then I'm watching my reactions, which are totally my business. But she was saying, couldn't it be, I think she was saying, couldn't it be that they really are doing that or they're really whatever? And yes, I think your answer, and I've asked this before, but I'm going around the circle again. Yes, we may see things. We may see things, but how are we responding if we're having any kind of upset? Then there's our homework. And, okay, so there's the first part. The second part is I have been listening to podcasts and reading about polyvagal theory, and I know you talk about sympathetic dominance and how we can shut down or go into fight or flight, um, et cetera, and there are solutions for us if we find ourselves in a state of unwellness like that and the reason I'm calling about this right now is pointedly because my grandson Charlie has just left for college having been you know in various places visiting friends and he seems to be very highly functional but when I talked to him today I said how how are you doing with the OCD stuff because he's working on it with a therapist. He said, you know, I'm in fight or flight almost all the time. I've lost 12 pounds. Bless his heart. I'm exhausted and I I think I know what I'm doing and I, I, I think I understand what I'm doing but I'm just not in a very good way and when I go back to school... I get into that because each person presents a kind of challenge. I think I'm, I may be picking up on some kind of disapproval from somebody. Of course, now we're getting into the psychological part. But he, I thought if there were, he won't take, he's on a medication. I don't know what it is. Obviously, it isn't taking care of everything. His doctors are very concerned because he's rail thin. He does work out. He's strong. And, but his sleep is interrupted, and he just has this business going on. So, of course, I'm poking around in all kinds of directions. I've been using Jeannie's wonderful worksheet, the little Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness Worksheet, um, and I've done a lot of, 
well, I shouldn't say a lot. I've done four worksheets and two mind shifters, and the mind shifters are so similar that they're sort of becoming each other, and a lot of journal writing over my own thing right. with Michael. But I'm also listening to these podcasts and hoping that to tide Charlie over in some way, he could breathing exercises, cold water on the face, or taking a cold shower. He knows about that. I wouldn't in a million years take a cold shower, but he does. He does, and he says he does feel better afterwards, or working out helps. But it's all these exterior things that are supposed to switch you over, but they're temporary. They seem temporary. So, well, uh, here's one of the challenges. Yeah. You know, when you're talking about activating the vagus nerve. Yeah. Vagus, the name of the nerve is vagus, and the word means wandering because it goes all over the yeah. body. And it yeah. has to do with rest, digestion, and higher brain function, regeneration, mm-hmm. and healing. Mm-hmm. And if one has been, here's where I see one of the challenges with doing all the exercises that are recommended to activate the vagus nerve, is that mm-hmm. when one is in sympathetic dominance, yeah. basically that's the fear, fight, flight mode. And right. what happens is that the blood is shunted away from those functions that you want related to the vagus nerve so yeah. that the muscles are ready to fight or run. Yeah. And okay. when that happens chronically, mm-hmm. then just like, you know, when the, the tree falls over in the river and you don't clean it up, that beautiful, clean, clear river all of a sudden becomes a swamp. Over mm-hmm. not too much time, the leaves and the debris coming down the river get caught in the tree branches, and, and all of a sudden it becomes clogged up, and things start to grow there that don't belong in the river, and you've got a whole full-blown swamp with all the bacteria and critters growing, literally animals showing up. And in the same way, I think that's an accurate representation of what happens in the body to all of the rivers of blood flow to those desired functions like higher brain function, regeneration, elimination, like the the back, I forget, one-third of the colon is, is driven by the vagus nerve, is, is fueled by the vagus nerve. And if that's cut off, then a person has bowel difficulties, has, has constipation and such. You know, there's so many things that are impacted by it. And if it's chronic, then those pathways that are supposed to supply the vagus nerve, yes, you stimulate the vagus nerve, but if there's no way for the blood to get through because it's chronically congested, then it's futile. My invitation, my suggestion would be, if the lady that you've loaned your Avison to would be uh, willing to do without it for a week or two, you might want to get it and get him to use it a couple of times a day and see if that gives him uh, a moment of respite physiologically. Mm. It starts to uh, increase, you know, what, what it's designed to do is to increase the microcirculation, increase the blood flow to those functions that have been cut off. And over time, I remember back, 
it's probably two years ago with my own hand in the Avison one day and you know one of the intensives we do is intuitive development and we teach people to gather information in ways other than the five senses normally do and I remember one day I put my hand in the Avison and and I was literally shown I got a visual in my mind of a little guy with a pickaxe going into my cells and picking at, loosening up the congested wastes in the cell. And and that's the only way that the blood flow is going to be restored because for somebody who's chronic, they're just, it's like crusted up, it's locked up. And so mm. over time, there'll be a restoration of that blood flow. Now stimulate the vagus nerve and everything to do with the vagus nerve has blood flow. But if you stimulate it without the blood flow, it's kind of futile. The long, hard so, way around. So I think I lost you at one point. So you're basically okay. saying he can do all of those things, the cold shower, the breathing, but if the blood flow isn't there, then these won't help. Is that what you said? You're not going to have the long-term impact. Yeah. You're not going to restore okay. it to normal by simply stimulating the vagus nerve. Yeah, there will be some impact of it, but you've got to supply yeah. those organs that are yeah. congested with blood flow so that they can carry through it now that they've got the, the vagus nerve sending impulses there. If the impulse is there, but there's no blood flow to carry out the impulse, then it's kind of futile. Okay, so second question. You told me once that I was lending my Avicen because I wasn't noticing the effect, the good effects of the Avicen, and I was using it twice a day for months, really. And I was felt free enough to lend it to somebody. And I asked you, sure. could it be that since I walk four to five miles a day and teach an exercise class three times a week, do you think the exercise is doing what the Avacyn was doing? And at Absolutely. that point, I think you said yes. And yes, Charlie that, that does, would be my take. Charlie does, he's very active and makes sure mm -hmm. he gets to the gym because it helps, but it helps for a short while. And so whatever is right. needing to kick back in in his unwellness is kicking right back in. So in the same way, and he's on his way to Davidson College down in one of the Carolinas. I think I forget. Isn't that awful? I can't right. remember where he, where he is. But he, he doesn't have any Avison down there, I know. And if, if exercise would do the same thing, what, how frequently and at what intensity could replicate the Avicen, he would do that, I think, if he had the time. You know, well, they, you know, they did one research project at the University of California in, Ir no, not Irvine, University of California in San Diego with um, people who had diabetes. Mm -hmm. And the upshot of it was that they got a change in postprandial blood sugar of about 60 points by using the Avacyn mm -hmm. for 30 minutes after a meal. And that's wow. the roughly equivalent of about a brisk one-hour walk. Wow, that's really... So putting one's right. hand in the Avacyn for 30 minutes and just laying, relaxing, mm -hmm. doing it is about the equivalent of a 30-minute brisk walk. And so consistently and persistently doing that, 
you know, and mm. with where the average person now being a young man, and although if he's in school, he's, he's maybe going to be too tied up and too busy with it, but if he could do that, brisk walk two or three mm. times a day, he'd probably mm-hmm. see the, the things he's doing to stimulate the vagus nerve being more effective. Otherwise, if he mm-hmm. could put his hand in the abscess two or three times a day, he'd get that impact. He could sit and do his homework with his hand in the abscess and yeah, be getting the same physiological idea. impact. Yeah. So it's just well. like they work hand in hand. Uh, you know, another mm-hmm. way to do it is, is you know, you look in, uh, you read some of the research in, uh, in the Netherlands and uh, mm-hmm. those countries where they use uh, saunas all the time and mm-hmm. hot tubs. And they get a similar uh-huh. impact with a hot tub and a sauna. Uh, the, the, the health benefits are just enormous. And the re- my take is the reason is because they're doing exactly what the Avacyn's doing, and that is opening the microcirculation so that that energy flow is restored to places that otherwise have been cut off. And then the other, mm-hmm. the other piece of the puzzle uh, that I would hear that it's going to be important for him to do is the part he does with his mind. Mm. What yeah. thought disorders does he need to remove so that mm-hmm. he isn't constantly setting himself in a state of sympathetic dominance? I mean, if he gets in the right. shower and gets that blood flow going, you know, cold shower. I've got a friend that uh, he's actually got on his deck. I want to go down there. I use it. He's actually got an ice box filled with water. <laughs> and mm-hmm. every morning he goes from a hot um not sauna, but um, uh, what do you call it, whirlpool-type thing, into this icebox filled with water. Plunge all the way down, uh, you know, right to the chin. Been there and done it with him. It's pretty interesting to do. It's, it's, after the first few times, it's actually kind of, uh, I'll use a pun, cool to do. But, uh, you know, if, if he's constantly setting himself with thought disorders into that, sympathetic state then he's going to whatever you do physiologically he's going to have to change what he's doing Mm -hmm. with his mind because physiology is driven by the mind you know think of yourself you know do a meditation imagine that you're in this really sweet meditative state you're cool everything's wonderful you know the colors in the room are nice you're very relaxed I mean, actually, I'm going to invite everybody to just join me and just imagine that you're there in that quiet, safe, sweet space. Your physiology is totally relaxed. It's nighttime, and you hear a sound that triggers the terror that you watched in a movie just the other night where someone broke into a house and murdered somebody. Mm-hmm. What happens to physiology? The mind is what sets physiology into sympathetic dominance. Right. And you can do everything you want physically if you don't change that, then yeah. it's kind of working against itself. So that's, you know, mm-hmm. hand in hand, part of just what needs to be done. Yeah. I and, can see the and, truth. And of that. if one lives in that state all the time, the challenge is, you know, it takes a higher level of understanding moving higher into the prefrontal cortex to go, oh, this is what I need to do. And that's the part of this, the brain that's cut off from oxygen nutrition. 
in a sympathetic sure. dominant state. Yeah. Hmm. So perhaps convincing to start to look at what he's doing with his thoughts. Oh, Maybe he, give him some mind shifters to... Go ahead. He he is working, but not with the tools that you have, so continue. Yeah, mind shifter. Right. Yeah, yeah it might, you know, help him to look at what some of those thoughts are and give him mind shifter, explain how to use it. And, you know, it's a pretty simple tool to use. And just watch mm-hmm. what this resonates, what this brings up for him. Invite him to just yeah. observe that. And then, you know, start to look at, okay, so how can we repair these things with them when they trigger in you, you just shut down into that sympathetic dominant place. Uh-huh. What can we do to change that and maybe yeah. put him on a track of understanding it from that uh, perspective and start to work through those thought disorders? And, of course, so you know, there are a whole cadre of tools for doing that. So strange. What's that? Well, it's just strange because there's no obvious trauma that would have brought him to this state. Uh, that isn't to say there wasn't trauma, and you talk about generational trauma. Right. He certainly has, has a father who has gone into medicine, become a fantastic surgeon who just struggles with the well-being of his patients if they're not doing well. He... It's much too intense. It's not healthy. He's even thinking of retiring so, early. Go right, ahead. and my my offering would be he's never struggled with the well-being of his patients. He struggled. He's got struggle in him. And what I hear you describing is he puts that struggle in in his mind into his reality structure as being about his mm-hmm. patients but it's really about his process and what's going on inside of him. And if he resolves Mm. struggle inside himself, then he'll be able to be with his patients who are at the worst end of the survival spectrum to the ones that are at the very best, and he'll just be a space of love for supporting them wherever they're at rather than getting lost in his projection that his disturbance is about the terrible possible outcomes of this patient. if he can start to recognize that that's about, you know, he has that struggle because he has that struggle, not because his patients are going through something or facing something or maybe there's a catastrophe happening. If yeah. if he didn't have a struggle and there's a catastrophe happening for a patient, he'd be able to just rush in as the active space of love and help to uplift that person. Mm. That's true. Uh, yeah, that's something I should absolutely have known since starting to study with you and Tim. <laughs> yeah. So okay. there's no should here, dear heart. It's not something you should have mm. known. It's no. something you know now. You could you could take a little power person dynamic and you know play that out as though oh look what I should have done and failed to do and, you know, put a load on yourself 
which might be the yes. same kind of load that your son's carrying. Or you yes. could go, oh, there's a new a new piece of information. Great, I got that now. Good. I can yeah. put that forward. Right. Now I have another question. Um, if no other hands are up, I know you stay with one person. I know you'll hear anything. Okay. <laughs> go for it. Um, <laughs> I have done... I go through these phases. It's almost like a, a menstrual cycle or something where I am very seriously triggered by our house guest. And I do... I had to do a serious bunch of work and Dr. Tim helped a lot with that, gave assignments, kept me right. on track, did. Mm-hmm. And I did some what I would call vaguely successful worksheets. Uh, they, I was not impressed. You know, when you ask at the end, was this a successful worksheet? I'd have to sit there, was it? I'm not so sure. Uh, what are your feelings? Uh, one to ten, I'd say. You know, some some middling number. That was consistent. Mm-hmm. And I did a lot of journal writing and discovered, you know, talking about what Jung said about bringing the darkness to the light. Well, there was a heck of a lot of darkness that I was mm-hmm. bringing out, and it's not worth any right. human being seeing. And then Dr. Tim said, read over that stuff. And I thought, oh, good. I'll find, I'll, I'll be asking myself, oh, how could I have written that? I have no sense of that at all. Not, I read through it and I, I still felt pretty much the way I did when I wrote them down. All right. the, the bad stuff was still very active and I'm going to have to right. go back and write more and read more, but I'm getting along better with Michael. Well, it sounds like you're left. digging into. It sounds like you're digging into a yeah. new depth of your own process and your own mind, and you're not finished uh-huh. yet. But Definitely. I'd suggest the reason when you go back and you still feel a lot of those feelings is because the thought disorders behind those feelings are still held by your mind. Yeah. And so start to isolate those thought disorders. And then utilize the tools to free yourself of those thought disorders. Then you go back and you read that and you go, oh, God, I can remember when I really used to get upset about that one. Oh, I went crazy about that. Oh, when this one came up, I was just a wreck. And and you'll be able to be at peace because you freed yourself of it. I mean, every feeling, remember, is just a shadow of a thought. And if the feelings are down and dark and nasty, it's because there are down and dark and nasty thoughts that just need to be uprooted and changed. And that's the process. And and notice over the last five or so years how much of that you've done. And now yeah. you start to step in and a new depth of your own work. You'll remember you've heard me say many times over the years that it takes the average person who's committed to using these tools five to ten years to really get what it's really all about. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's mm-hmm. time to go to at a new, in a new way with a new level of understanding of the reason I go back and 
feel those traumatic feelings when I read that, it's because reading that resonates thought disorders that I've not yet forgiven. And so now I'm ready to read, and when I come across one, I'm going to use every tool I've got to free myself of it. Mm. I want to take a nap. And it's about unwinding. Say that. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you. Yep. Yep. Unconsciousness (laughs) is part of the the healing process. Let me check out. Yeah. I need to refurbish the the army. (laughs) Feed them a good lunch, and then we'll tackle it again. Mm Mm-hmm. So notice when you're reading them what thoughts you have that you don't normally pay attention to. Those thoughts down. Kind of like you would with a mind shifter. And so what do I need to do to clean this one up? What do I need to do to free myself from this belief, this thought that I'm trying to help my grandson resolve. And when you resolve it, you'll be empowered on a whole other level to support him in resolving what he's carrying that's, you know, been passed on to uh, to all the boys. Well... The the intuitive hit that comes is yeah. you might take a look at some of that and call Luke and ask him if he'll support you in a worksheet or two. Oh wow. And that he might just uh that's that's just the hit I get. That he might just be with the work that he's doing and done, be intuitively available to support grandma after all the support she's given him to move not only her you but the whole family system past those layers Mm. that's a lovely idea too bad he just started school again but i can still call him i don't know how busy he is but you know he's in his seventh year of college really dropped out resumed Changed schools, you know, been out of commission, been to rehab twice, finally on track to graduate he's, sometime he's rocking. this year. <laughs> What's he studying? He's, he's a writer, actually. He's studying English, and he has been... He's... He's been writing and running AA groups, too, but writing uh, short stories. And he thinks now he'd like to be a, an English professor, and so he may go right into graduate school. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I get the sense that he'd be delighted to make some time, you know, the fact that you gave him time that he's acknowledged more than once really helped him turn around with doing the forgiveness process, that he'd be delighted to find some space to to just hold the space for you. That's a great idea. And it would be a powerful acknowledgement of him too, of what he's done. You know, when you think of the 
the tragedy of his process, which it, it was for quite some time, and that he's lifted himself up out of it, that would be a powerful mm-hmm. acknowledgement. Yeah. And we could all use that at, at some point or another. Yeah, speak for yourself, Michael, and you deserve Every it. one of us, right? Every one <laughs> yeah. of us. Yeah. So. Well, that's very helpful. Yeah, and with Charlie and the Addison, um, I'll tell him about this machine, and, and I, I could get it and send it down. My, my friend has certainly had a wonderful long run with it. Right. This leads me to yet another question. Quick question, I hope. Um, I notice my balance isn't as good as it used to be, and I do, with my students, I practice balancing. Um, And my friend who has the Addison is three years or so older than I am and says her balance is so terrible she uses a walker. Well, I'm not there yet mm-hmm. on wood, but I was wondering if you have any knowledge about shoring up, losing your balance more as you get older. Well, that's interesting. I've actually just registered for a uh, weekend workshop uh, with a actually a Ukrainian medical doctor who does a thing called medical massage. And one of mm-hmm. the topics that they're going into, and I'm, I'm basically going to study with this man because he's a master. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not doing a practice where I'm putting my hands on people and such, and this is a hands-on workshop. But I'm mainly going to just be in a master space. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'll let you know what I learned because one of the topics that's being covered, and this is at the end of the month of, uh, in this particular workshop, is balance mm. I'd be interested yeah so I'll report what I find okay have you noticed that for yourself balance mm-hmm. um, or Jeannie she's younger I think but yeah I'm, I'm just trying to think uh, I think that if I look over the long haul of my life, there's always been a certain off-balance kind of thing. You know, as a kid, I was always spraining my ankles and twisting my foot. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I've, I see changes there. It's it's a little hard you'd to know, assess. You'd, but yeah, you'd be saying an absolute yes right away if you knew it. It's a very strange thing I'll I'll stand up and suddenly I'm a little bit going sideways. And I've seen old people do that. And I, I don't want to mm-hmm. do that. Not yet. My mom lost her balance totally in her 90s. She just Ouch. had to be carried around practically. Yeah. So, and it got to a point where the doctor tried to work with her therapist and said he really couldn't get anywhere. It's too far gone. But the thought was, I, I think I imagined him saying that if you had caught this earlier, you could correct it. And I do, as I say, work with my students. We always do a little five minutes of balancing on one foot with your eyes shut. And I count to 20. 
and see if we can stay upright. And I can do that. Some days are better than others, and one side is better than the other. But I don't know whether that would take care of it. You know, just keep doing that. Anyway, I'd love to know what your master says at the end of it. Well, I'll definitely uh, let you know if I learn anything of importance there. And, and, uh, you know, I'd assume there are probably practitioners up in your area. They're doing, it's a specialized form called medical massage. And it's it's different. Okay. There's a practitioner. The way I got in touch with her, there's a practitioner here in Bristol who's a massage therapist. And I've worked with massage therapists on four continents, literally, over the years with the travel I've done and such. And I've never met anybody uh-huh. that knows how to work with uh, structure the way she does. I, I've never met anybody. Uh-huh. And I've met What's some the name really of it again? wonderful medical massage. Medical massage, okay. Yeah. So okay. I'll keep you posted well, thanks, on that. Michael. Great. All right, dear heart. Well, it's telling me in my ear that our time is up. So yes. I'm right. questions and thoughts. Open a nice space, and uh, and we hold the space for for your son, for your grandsons, and uh, for you to have the best year yet of your eternal life. Take care, everybody. Bye bye.